0: Well, tonight, today we're going to be uh, finishing our series that we've been over the last couple months here called My Biggest Moment. I want to invite Adam Lynch to come out. Adam's our young adults pastor. I think you're going to enjoy what he has to say today. I don't want to steal his thunder before he starts to speak, but if you were here a couple weeks ago, you can remember that I talked a little bit about getting expelled, almost expelled from high school my senior year. So Adam's got a good story he's going to tell. It's going to have something to do with police. Police cars, all kinds of different things. So, Car chases, yeah, whatever. So. But I think you're going to enjoy what he has to say. So let's just pray for Adam, and then he'll uh, speak to all of you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for Adam. I thank you for his heart for you. I thank you for the way that you've worked in his life. And God, thanks for drawing him to yourself. Thanks for bringing him here to Connection Point. And thanks for the ministry that you have called him to. God, I pray that you'd fill him with your spirit now. That you would use him in a mighty way this morning, that you would give them the exact words to say for all of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you, Greg, for that uh, interesting introduction. I'm sure if you didn't have questions about me before, you're like, I'm going to listen to this guy now. Um, so, well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Welcome everybody here in the center. Welcome everybody that's in The Point. Uh, Like Greg said, my name is Adam Lynch. I'm the young adult pastor here at Connection Point. And uh, I'm just super excited to be here this morning. And uh, I'm excited to uh, be wrapping up our series called My Biggest Moment with God. And when John asked me to speak, I knew exactly uh, what I wanted to talk about. I knew exactly the moment uh, that I wanted to talk on. And so this morning I'm going to take you through three different stories to get to my biggest moment with God. And uh, if you have your program, you can write on the top of it, the title of my sermon this morning is From Running to Rescued. From Running to Rescued. And so my story really starts out uh, with a call, with a call into ministry at the age of 12 years old. It was at this time that uh, I didn't really grow up in church, and it was at this time where uh, my mom decided, hey, as a family, your dad and I and your sisters, we're going to start going to church. And I remember this one Sunday night where uh, we had a guest speaker. He was a guest evangelist, you know. And uh, I remember he spoke that night, and uh, we went down to the front, and I remember he was praying for all these people. We're in a uh, auditorium about this size you know and there's hundreds of people down at the front getting prayed for and I remember him praying for me specifically and I just remember the things that he was saying just like just I couldn't believe the things that, like talking about fear and doubt and it was just like speaking to me incredibly I couldn't believe it and so after the service I was in the lobby with uh, one of my buddies and I remember seeing my mom uh with the pastor walking towards me and not only was my mom with the pastor walking towards me she was crying and I was like oh my gosh what did I do already I mean like I've been sitting in this lobby talking with my friend how could I be in trouble I'm in trouble with her then, then I'm in trouble with the pastor somehow so now I'm in trouble with God and it's like what is going on you know and so I remember her walking with him and uh, she's sniffling you know and she's like Adam uh, this pastor wants to say something to you and I'm like oh my gosh okay And so I remember he physically grabbed my face. And I was like, this is weird. And uh, so he grabbed my face and he said, young man, when I was praying for you, I felt a jolt of of electricity go through my body. And the Lord said to me that I'm going to use this young man in great ways. And then he said, I remember this like yesterday, he's like, I don't know if this is in the ball field or in the pulpit, but God is going to use you. And I immediately knew that it was in ministry and I was like, I do not want to do that. I want to pursue baseball, I want to pursue sports, I do not want to pursue ministry. And so I ran away from that call uh, for four years. And then it was another Sunday morning service, same church, and the pastor was preaching, and I remember uh, I was sitting in like what would be this section over here, and I remember the pastor stopped He said, I got to stop the sermon. The Lord's speaking to me. He said, God is telling me that there's a young man sitting in this section over here who's called to full-time ministry, and he's been running away from that call, and God wants you to start uh, accepting that call. He wants you to, to accept it. So if you're sitting over here, maybe you're called to full-time ministry as well. <laughs> my prayers for you. I'm sorry. No. I was, but I remember, so he said that. He stopped the sermon. Then he went back into the sermon, and I remember just feeling this heat all over my body. Like, I don't know if like, this happens to you, but when I feel convicted or when God is speaking to me, like my whole body was just on fire. And I, was sweating, and I knew that God was speaking to me. I knew that he was speaking to me about pursuing that call. And so from that moment on, I accepted that call uh, into full-time preaching ministry. But during that, from, from that time to my senior year, uh, things in my family were just going crazy. And in the middle of my senior year of high school, my dad just left and my parents got divorced. And I remember we had nothing. You know, I remember uh, working a job so I could help provide uh, for the family so we could have heat in our home. I remember uh, in January in Michigan, it's cold, you know, and I remember we didn't have money for heat. So I remember wrapping my little sister in blankets so she would stay warm. And my heart began to grow hardened towards God. And my heart began to grow hardened towards Christian people as well. Uh, I remember uh, this one particular morning at church, uh, my mom at this time going through divorce was a wreck, like, like anybody would be. And I remember she was walking down the hall, and I could see her from the lobby, and then there's this woman, Christian woman, that we knew, and she saw my mom and connected eyes with my mom, and she didn't want to talk to my mom. She didn't want to have to deal with what my mom was going through, so she turned and went the other way. And I remember seeing that, and I was like, okay, God, if that's how Christian people are, I'm done with them. And so you fast forward to my fresh, uh, freshman year of college, my mom said, you know what, with everything that's going on, you got a scholarship for baseball down in Missouri, why don't you go down to Springfield, play baseball, pursue ministry, and, uh, and just get away from this mess. And so I remember uh, I was down there in the spring of that uh, freshman year, I remember I got a phone call from a friend uh, who told me that something tragic had happened to my sister. So now my family had fallen apart, uh, you know, my heart was hardened towards Christian people, and then now something had happened to my sister. And I said, God, if this is how you treat people who are pursuing ministry, God, I'm gonna be done. God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to confirm to me that this is what you really want me to do, because if not, I'm gonna do something else. So I remember in the spring of that year uh, at this college, there was something called Spiritual Enrichment Week. And basically it was a week-long chapel service, like basically there'd be a chapel in the morning and a chapel at night. And I remember going one particular night I said, God, this is your final chance. Like, I need you to confirm in me that this is what you want me to do. And I need you to speak plainly because if not, I'm done. Because my heart was hardened towards God and towards Christian people. So I remember going uh, to the the chapel service that night. And I was at the altar. And I was praying, man. And I was praying for two hours. I had friends come and, and they were praying with me as well. And I remember just having this constant thought and this constant impression uh, that God was speaking to me and saying, "I want you to soften your heart towards me and towards other people because that's a gift I've given you." Over and over and over, soften your heart towards me and towards other people because that's a gift I've given you. I felt that and felt that, but I'm just like, "God, is this what? You're, are, are you speaking to me? I don't know." And I said, "God, I need to hear from you. Like, you got to make this easy. Like, you got to make this clear because if not," I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave ministry. I'm going to go into marketing. I'm going to go into business. I'm going to do something else. You better show up right now. So I remember I prayed for a couple hours. Then I went back to my seat. I sat, I sat down. And I'm just like, God, you're on the clock. You're on the clock right now. You've got like five seconds to confirm this in me or I'm done. I'm done. Nothing. So I remember I stood up and I said, okay, God, I gave you your chance. I'm out. I'm going to go into business, I'm going to go into marketing, whatever. So I remember I reached over to my left to grab my jacket. And as I stood up, I felt someone put their arm around me. And I looked to my right, and it was this 28-year-old youth pastor from one of the local churches in town. And I had seen him before, um, but I didn't know him. You know, and this room was, the room, the chapel was about as big as this room, about 1,000 people in the room. And he said, man, I don't even really know who you are. But he said, I saw you praying, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, I tried to leave this place three different times. He said, I was outside in the parking lot in my car, and God would not let me shut my door until I came and told you this. I'm like, okay, what do you got to tell me? He goes, okay. He goes, I don't know what this means. Just take it for whatever, but this is what God wants me to say to you. I said, okay. He said, first thing God wants you to know is he wants you to soften your heart towards him and towards other people because that's a gift he's given you. Boom. Instantly started crying, and he had this look like, Okay, I'm on the right track, like I am, (laughs) I am hearing, I'm hearing from the Lord, okay. And so then I was like, Locked in, I'm like, Okay, what's this brother got to say to me, okay. And uh, so then he uh, he says, Not only that, he said, God is going to far exceed every expectation you've ever had, and that He's called you into full time ministry, He's called you into full time preaching ministry, and in that moment. My, my calling was now secured, like I knew it. And God showed me three different ways, in three different ways, very plain and simple, because people like me who are very stubborn, it has to be very plain and simple, that this is what I was called to do. And I knew that this, is the, this was the pursuit, uh, this was the thing that I was gonna pursue with everything that I had. And so my calling was secured, but my heart was still a wreck. Like, I knew I was called into ministry now, but my heart was still broken because I hadn't dealt with the trauma of what my family went through, with what my sister went through, with what I went through. So I knew what, I, what God was calling me to do, but I never dealt with that stuff, never dealt with the heart, never got you know, in deeper to the soul. So I, tra- I transferred to a college in Michigan to be closer to home. And uh, I remember I was at my mom's apartment, and I remember this like yesterday. I was at my mom's apartment, and I remember making this conscious decision. I'm going to do whatever Adam wants to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care what God wants me to do. I don't care what people want me to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that led me down the darkest path, the darkest two years of my entire life. I did things that I never thought I would do. I said things that I never thought I would say. I experienced things that I never thought I would experience. And it led me to what would be my biggest moment with God. But before I tell you that, I got to tell you this, you know, so I was going to this college or this Christian college and I kind of thought I was just like big, bad, tough guy, you know. going to. Christian College for ministry, the big, bad, tough guy, really. You know, and so I had this attitude that I could do whatever I want. And so I did do whatever I want, and I parked wherever I wanted. This is going to sound really dumb to you. I know it is. Uh, But I'd park wherever I wanted to. And uh, I remember I'd park in 10-minute parking. I'd leave my truck there overnight. And I'd always get tickets from Campus Safety. And I was always like, "Ah, I don't care, whatever. I get a ticket. So I racked up over $500 worth of tickets with Campus Safety. So if you don't know this or not, uh, if you don't pay those, they put this... uh, orange immobilizing boot on your vehicle so I remember I woke up I remember I woke up one morning and I had to go to work I was a server in a restaurant I had to work the breakfast shift and uh, I remember I got to my truck and I was like what is this I can't believe this like dummy you have $500 with tickets of course I'm gonna do this and so I, I remember I'm like this is not happening I got to go to work and I'm, nev- I'm never gonna tell the secret of how I got this off but I got that thing off in like five seconds And so I might have had some help. I can't confirm or deny that. Uh, Crowbar might be involved, but whatever. I don't want to give, anyways. So I got that that thing off, put it in the back of my truck. And went to work. I was like, this is no big deal." I wanted to throw it in a lake. Thank God, I did not throw it in a lake. Anyways, so I had it in the back of my truck, and uh, I got off my my shift at work. And I remember I looked at my phone. And my phone was blowing up. I had text messages like crazy, phone calls like crazy. You know, people were texting me, saying, "Adam, there's cops, uh, police officers taking pictures where your truck was." The campus safety director uh, called me and left me a very stern voicemail. And so I got back to campus and I called the campus safety director. I said, hey, man, what's up? And he goes, where are you at? I go, I'm on campus. He's like, you need to get out, where you, you to get out here where your truck was right away. I'm like, okay, cool, man. Yeah, no problem. So I remember uh, driving my truck up, and there a couple police officers and a couple cars. And, and I thought, I'm big and bad, right? I can do whatever I want. So I remember I got out of my truck and shut the door. I was so arrogant and cocky. I shut the door, and I'm like strutting towards these police officers. And uh, they're like, are you Adam Lynch? And I said, Bleepity bleep, yes, I, 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 said, I said something, you're not supposed to say in church. I, but basically, to the ex- I said, yes, yes, I am. Basically, yes, I, yes, I am. And uh, never a good move. Anyways, and uh, they said, is this your last year here at this such and such college? And I said, no, it's not. And they said, well, it is if we have anything to say about it. And they grabbed me and they gently turned me and put me on the cop car and handcuffed me and put me in the back of the car. And so now, and being a big dude, I don't know if y'all have ever been cuffed before, but being a big dude and sitting in the back of a cop car like this is not very fun. And so I remember I was sitting back there like this, and I'm just thinking, how is this happening? How is this happening right now? There's no way. I sat in the back of that cop car for 45 minutes. But I am so thankful for those 45 minutes. Because that was the biggest moment with God I ever had. As I'm sitting in the back of this cop car handcuffed, my heart starts to change. My heart starts to shift. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, clearer than I've ever heard anything in my life. I heard him say to me, I have called you to more than this. I have called you to more than this. And in that moment, I knew he was right. I knew he was right. I knew he had called me to more than a life, than doing whatever I wanted to do, because I knew it was going to lead to more moments like this. And God, it was so amazing, because his words cut my heart in two. In one sense, I felt really convicted, but in another sense, I felt so much love and forgiveness and acceptance. It's funny how God can express both of his, in in that moment, it's amazing, his attributes. And so the cop got in the car, the police officer got in the car and started the car. So I'm sitting back there like, oh, no, no way. I'm going to jail. I'm actually going to jail over a boot. Are you kidding me? And so he started the car. And remember, I sat back there for 45 minutes. And so he started the car, and then he, like, messed with some buttons. He rolled down the window, rolled up the window, and then he let me out. So he let me out, and he uncuffed me, and I was like, oh. And he goes, young man, you are so lucky he said, "If it wasn't for this guy right here, the campus safety director, you'd be going to jail tonight, and it was my plan to take you to jail. But he didn't want to press charges, and so you're not going to jail." So they impounded my truck, I had to pay all my fines, but I didn't go to jail. And, then I, and the police officer said, "And I don't ever want to see you again." And I was like, "Yes, sir, you will never see me again. I promise." <laughs> I ended up finding out I ended up finding out that just a few months later, uh, that they were just trying to scare me, and it worked) <laughs> Like, holy cow for some people that might not work but for me I was like yes sir I'll never ever ever see you again hopefully ever and uh, but that was my biggest moment with God saying "I, I have called you to more than this and this is what that road of choosing whatever I wanted to do led to but in that moment I went from I went from running to rescued I went from running away from God to being rescued by God and it took a moment like that to wake me up. It took a two by four to the face to wake me up, but it woke me up. I went from running to rescued. I went, to, I went from being a slave to my sin and my choices to God saying, you're my son. Stop running, be, stop running away from me. You're my son. I went from far from God to close to God. And so my biggest moment with God really reminds me of a story that we read in the, book of, in the book of Luke. And this is a parable, this is a story that Jesus told. And when Jesus told parables, he would say that the kingdom of God is like this. He would say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. If you want to know what God's uh, relationship is like with people, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And, and this story really speaks to me, and I hope that it speaks to you as well. And, and so I want to read this story and then kind of extract Five things that we, that we get from this story, and I hope it applies to you as well. So let's read the story together. Uh, it's Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a uh, severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to uh, his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. There's a few things that that I want to extract from the story because this story, I really feel like is is my story. And the first thing that we see in the story in verse 12, the younger uh, brother said, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. The younger son said, just give me what I want. Just give me what I want. I don't care what the father wants. Just give me what I want. And I remember making that conscious decision like, God, I don't care what you want. I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. You see, the son was more concerned, the younger son was more concerned about what he wanted rather than what God wanted. More concerned about what he wanted than what God wanted. He was more focused on what he wanted than what the father wanted. And this led to a, a famine. This led to a famine and now when Jesus told uh, parables and he told stories, the this, this story probably didn't happen. And so in this story, Jesus is talking figuratively. So what Jesus is saying is the story is when you get away from me, when you get away from the father, there's going to be famine. So in verse 14, in verse 14 it says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he, and he began to be in need. You see, the son left the father and spent everything he had chasing after things that were not out of God and it left him feeling empty. I remember this in my life as well. Pursuing things, chasing things that I thought would fulfill me, but left me feeling empty. I wonder if anybody's in here this morning where you're chasing things and you feel empty. I wonder if there's people in here this morning where you're experiencing a spiritual famine in your life. Could it be because you've been running? Like the younger son, he said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to, I want to pursue any of the things that I want to pursue. And now you're experiencing famine. You see, we experience spiritual famine when we run away from God. We experience spiritual famine when we run away from God. And this is something that's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to write it down. Sin over promises and under delivers every time. Sin over promises and under delivers every single time. Saying this new job is, is going to fulfill me. It's not going to. This experience with this person is going to fulfill me. It's not going to fulfill you. The only thing that can truly satisfy and fulfill you is a relationship with Jesus. And so are you here this morning? Have you been running? How's that working out for you? If you've been running from God for a long time, how's that working out for you? Next we see uh, in verse 18. We'll read verse 18 and 19 together. The younger, Jesus said that the younger son came to his senses. You know, he he was feeding pigs and he longed to eat with the pigs reading. So he's like, "My, my dad's servants got it better than this. And so in verse 18 it says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants make me like one of your hired servants so he has this idea he says I'm gonna come back to my senses you know my at least my dad's servants have it better than this even my dad's servants have it better than this and so we see that it shows he has deep humility like this shows that he has deep humility and then he acknowledges he acknowledges his sin you know he says I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father he acknowledges his sin and it shows that he has deep humility And he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. Which something really interesting here that I want to point out is that he had a love for his father's house. But he had confidence that his father would receive him back. Like nowhere in the text does it say that I'm not sure if he'll take me back. Like he knew that his father would would take him back as a hired hand or as a servant. But hear this. He had no adequate sense of the father's love for him. He had no adequate sense of the father's love for his son. He had no idea of how deep and how wide and how high and how great the father's love was for him. His father was more accepting and loving and gracious than he ever imagined he could possibly be. And if you're in here this morning and you're wondering, uh, my heart's starting to stir, and I, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not, I've done so much stuff. Can I just say to you, we have no adequate sense of how great and deep his love is for you. Come home. Next we see, I love verse 20. I'll probably, I'm going to probably start preaching in a second. So in verse 20, I love verse 20. Uh, it says, so he got up uh, and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran... To his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. So first we see that the son took the first step, okay? He says, I'm gonna go back to the father. So the son took the first step. And then the father runs after him. He sees him and runs after him. James 4:8 says, Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Love that. What I really, really like is this it says, While he was a long ways off, the father had compassion on him. Okay, this is really exciting. So the father had compassion on him. And this Greek word for compassion is splechazodome. I can't say it right. Splechazodome, okay. So when you're in seminary, you, you have to say one Greek word a year. So anyways, got my master's for something. All that money is worth it. For one, Anyways, so it's And so this word means to have compassion. But the deeper root of the meaning is this like, uh, like this, it's, it, mean, it means to have the bowels yearn, like it's this this, this like sense that you have like butterflies in your stomach, stomach. Like you know when you see someone that you haven't seen for a long time and, and you're excited, you're about to see them. And then you see them that, that feeling that you have, or it's like you have a crush on someone and you, you see your crush. Like you know that like that excitement, that that feeling that you feel in your gut. That's what that word means. And so what Jesus is saying is that that's the feeling that the father had when he saw his son returning home. Like he had compassion on him, but he was also excited and nervous and just like, I, I can't believe he's, he's coming home. Like that's how the father feels when someone who doesn't know God comes back to God. And so we, so we see that when he takes a step back home, back to the father, that the father runs towards him. And when you take a step back to the father, Christ runs after you. And he has this excitement like, I see him. I see him coming back. I see her coming back. Like that's the feeling. When Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, this is what God is like when people who don't know him come back home. That's so amazing to me. In verse 21 through 22, it says, the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And sandals on his feet. Did you catch what didn't happen here? Did you catch what wasn't said? The father didn't say, you're absolutely right you sinned against me. You're absolutely right that you sinned against this family. And you're going to have to earn your way back in here. You're right you did all this this, this wrong stuff. The son comes back to the father He says, I sinned against you and I sinned against heaven. And the father doesn't even acknowledge what he says. He says, quick, go get a robe, go get a ring, put it on his finger, kill the fattened calf, and we're going to celebrate because the son that was gone is now home. And the Bible says that now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgives our sins and he never brings them up again. Someone's got to be excited in this room besides me. Are you kidding me? He never brings it back up. He never brings it back up. The father never acknowledges his sin. So you may be here this morning and you might feel disqualified. You may be here this morning and you might feel disqualified from from being a son of God. Or you might feel disqualified from being a daughter of the king. Because of the things you've done in your past or Maybe your immediate situation is really messed up. Maybe it's really, really messy. But let me tell you this your behavior, your behavior, being a child of God is not based on your behavior, but rather on Jesus' choice. Being a child of God is not based on your behavior, it's based on Jesus' choice. And Jesus says, I want him to be in my family, I want her to be a part of my family. I want them to be a part of my family. That's why I went to a cross and I bled and I died and I came back to life because I I choose them. There's this woman who was caught in the act of adultery and the Pharisees threw her at Jesus and said, What are you going to do with her? We caught her in the act of adultery. And Jesus says, Any of you, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. And they all went away. Jesus chose her in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her mess. And he chooses you in the midst of your sin. And in the midst of your mess, he chooses you. He chooses me. And right now, maybe your heart is stirring. The father's looking at you saying, just come back home. Come back home. I don't care about what you've done. We can deal with that later. But just come back home. You don't have to get all cleaned up and neat and nice before you come back home. Just come back home, son. Just come back home, daughter. He's more loving. He's more gracious. He's more accepting than we could possibly ever understand. And so now we've got to look at one more person in the story because there's one more person in the story. And we have to look at the older brother. Because there's two brothers in the story. The younger one leaves his father, the, young, the younger one stays. So when the younger one comes back, the older brother's not happy about it. We'll pick up the story in verse 25. It says, "Meanwhile, the old, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. Your brother has come," he replied, "and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has because he has him back and safe and sound." The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, "Look." He was lost, and now he is found. And so there's just a couple things that we notice at the end of this story with the older brother. And the first thing is that the older brother was not excited that his younger brother who was lost came home. He had this attitude of, like, I've been here working, and you're just going to accept him? For, uh, he's going to have to earn his way back into this family. And then he says he went off with prostitutes and did this. Here's the thing. The, the text never says that he did that. He said he went off with wild living, but it never said he went off with prostitutes. So now his older brother's just hurling insults and accusations at the younger brother. And I just have a few questions. Are we doing this to people who are trying to find Jesus? Like, are we doing this to people who are trying to come back to Christ? Like are we making people jump through religious hoops and, and religious traditions saying you've got to get yourself cleaned up before you come back to, to this church. You're going to have to get yourself cleaned up when you come before you come back to God and get yourself figured out. Are we being like the older brother? Saying so you're going to have to earn your spot back into this family. Or are we like the father just accepting them saying I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Just come home. The second thing we see about the, the older brother is that the older brother and the younger brother really have the same attitude towards towards the father. Especially the younger brother in the beginning. But the older brother has the same attitude as the younger brother. You see, the older brother didn't work hard and slave away for his father out of love for the father. He worked for his father because of what the father could give him, which was his share of the estate. He didn't serve him out of love. He served him out of what he could give him. And so I just wonder this morning, are you serving and following Jesus out of love for Jesus or just because of what Jesus can give you? Are you serving Christ out of love for him or are you serving him just to escape hell? Are you loving him and following him because you really love him or is it just because this is what we do in the Midwest, we go to church, we follow Jesus? But don't ask me to talk to people who don't look like me. Don't ask me to talk to people who are different, who are strange, who might be a little weird, who have a past, who are a little messy. And don't ask me to move seats because I, I, I go to 915. Don't ask me to go to Saturday. <laughs> Friends, we should be saying, I will, man, praise the Lord, so many people are coming here. That I'm, I'll go to a Monday service at 730 in the morning. That's not happening. Don't go tell John, well, Adam said that you guys moved to 730. I'm not saying that. But are we making it harder for people to come to know Jesus? Like, we should be so excited that that we have to move services. We have to do this because people are coming to know Jesus. The third thing we see is that he never went after his younger brother. And I don't know if you caught this in the story, but he never went after him. Now, I don't have a brother. I have two sisters who are like Amazons. I'm like the run of the family. And so I have two sisters But I never had a brother, but I always wanted one. And if I had a brother that took off like this, I would do anything to bring him back. He didn't do one thing. He never went after his younger brother. Let me, can I ask you just a couple more questions? Are there people who have become lost? Are there people who have become lost that you're you're ignoring? Are there people in your life, your family, friends, coworkers who have become lost that you're ignoring. Second thing, are there people who have come home? Are there people who have come home that we're not celebrating? Are there people who are coming home and, and coming to find Jesus that we're not celebrating? Like, are we celebrating, I hate to harp on this, but are we celebrating the fact that we, we have the opportunity to move people around so we can open up more space for all the people that Jesus is bringing into his house? Like, are we excited about that? Are we excited that, that, that Bob came to know Christ? If there's a Bob in here, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about metaphorical Bob. Anyways, like, are you excited that Bob is coming to know Christ? Or are we like the older brother, like, ugh, ugh been here for 15 years, two years, whatever, don't, make me ask, don't, don't ask me to move. Are these people, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They're a little different than me. Are we celebrating those people are coming home? Are we celebrating that those who are far away from God are coming close to God? Jesus said that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner turns to God. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner turns to God. Um, is there anybody in this room this morning that likes to watch America's Got Talent? Raise your hand. Okay, I love America's uh, America's Got Talent. My wife and I love, love, love that show, and our favorite thing is uh, the golden buzzer moment. And if you, like those are like tearful things, you know what I mean, like we'll watch this. So the golden buzzer moment, if you don't know, is there's a lot of rounds and tryouts for, you know, to get to these live shows. And when someone hits the golden buzzer, it means they get to skip all those rounds and go straight to the live shows, blah, blah, blah. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Anyways. And so, but when you see these golden buzzer moments, like all this gold confetti comes down and like my wife and I will just start like crying and bawling like babies. And my wife's like, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, you know, like, it's just like, it's just amazing. And our favorite uh, golden buzzer moment was with Darcy Lynn last year. She was a ventriloquist and it was so amazing. And I got to show it to you. I want to show you a quick clip. Check this out real quick. You made my heart melt. You were brilliant. I'm trying to describe how amazing it was. You know what? And it's it. I love watching those moments, seeing this moment. Now I'm getting like a little choked up like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But I love watching uh, those moments and I love seeing the expressions on these people's faces because in that moment, all of their dreams, all of their aspirations have come true. Like their future has been changed because of that moment. And as we watch that, I'm thinking that's how we should react when people who are far from God come to know Jesus. Like every time we baptize someone in this baptismal and they come to know Jesus, we should have gold confetti just raining everywhere. Because this, this person's life has been changed for all of eternity. We should be celebrating every single day. But we don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. Because this is, this is what it's normally like, Okay. We hear Bob get saved. Let's just stick with Bob. We hear Bob get saved, and we're sitting here, and we watch Bob come down. You know, Bob's you know been running away from God forever, and Bob comes here and he gets baptized. He's wearing a surrender shirt, and and then this is what this is our self. We're like, yay! And then we do this like, and then we do this like half golf clap. What time's lunch? We gotta, we gotta go. Are you kidding me? We should be celebrating those people that are coming to know Jesus. Like we should be celebrating the prodigal that's coming home. We should be standing to our feet every time someone comes to know Jesus because once those who are lost are now found. Are you celebrating the people who are coming home? And if you're here this morning and you've been a prodigal, come home. Just come home because he's more loving. He's more gracious than, he, than you could ever think. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our place so that we could be called children of God. And if you know him, that's who you are this morning. So you've got to celebrate. We should be standing to our feet. Everybody stand to your feet right now. Let's worship God together.